going to ask you today to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing in our service called Old Church Arise, and it's predicated on the fact that this is the time for the church to arise. This is the great opportunity for the church to emerge victorious, laboring in the victory. And um, I want to just be able to share with you today, we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians 6.14. We've been looking at preparing for battle, and we've been looking that the Word of God has been very clear in telling us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual forces, against world forces of darkness. And we know that our enemy is not a physical enemy. He doesn't wear a uniform. He isn't one that's out there that, hey, you know, we could clearly identify, but we're engaged in this war, in this hidden battle. Charles Spurgeon says this, ours, speaking of the Christian battle, he says, ours, therefore, is a stern conflict, standing and withstanding, and we shall want all the armor from the divine magazine, all of the strength from the mighty God of Jacob. And I think Charles Spurgeon has it right. Ours is a stern conflict. And we are seeing many in the church that are undergoing seasons of trial, seasons of testing, some who are being assailed by the very enemy themselves. And in these days of uncertainty, in these days of cataclysmic change that is occurring in our society today, it becomes even more critical for the child of God to be able to stand in the might of Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Last week I shared, I shared with you that Satan's primary objective, Satan's primary goal by harassing and assailing and coming against believers is so that believers will impugn the name and the character of God. Satan wants believers to go, where is your God? You're going through this situation. You're going through this illness. Where is your God? That is his primary motivation. He actually wants us to blaspheme God. I kind of fell into this trap several weeks ago. I was sharing with some people that when I went to see my mother in New York, and it was just very emotional for me to see her in the condition that she's in, and I walked out, we got in the car, and I said to Barbara, she didn't deserve this, she didn't deserve this, I don't understand why this is happening to her. I was just upset, but I was venting, and I was letting loose, and I, I kept reiterating, she doesn't deserve this, why did this have to happen to her? She's been going through this for the longest time. And just the whole day, my, my, my spirit, my emotions were vexed, they were, they were so bottled up. And that night, while we were sleeping in the hotel, as God always does, He has this way of doing. The Lord wakes me up, the Holy Spirit wakes me up about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I knew God wanted to speak. And I just, okay, Lord, I sat up at the bed. And the Spirit of God revealed to me. Basically paraphrasing. But the Spirit of God said, you know, when you say, she doesn't deserve this. That's my child. I am God. And when you say that, you blaspheme me. And I was like, I repent, Lord. 
I repent. Satan had worked on my emotions to such a degree, to such a degree that got me to that place where I was actually accusing God. That's what I was doing. She didn't deserve this. Why is this happening? And right there, I'm accusing God. Now you might say, well, that's your mother. You were emotional, whatever. It does not matter. God is God. And my mother is going to go on the day that is appointed, the day, the minute, the hour that is appointed from her before the foundations of the world to go up to heaven. That's what Satan is seeking to accomplish. When you're being graded, when you're being rubbed, when you're being assailed, when you're being attacked, remember this, that the objective of the enemy is to get you to curse God and die. That's what he wants. And yet God is designed for believers to withstand. God has designed for believers to stand strong in the battle so that we would be a testimony to the world of the magnificent enabling grace of God and the mercy of Christ. Don't buy into the garbage that you hear being preached out there today that, you know, that, that Christians don't have a problem, that Christians are always victorious. Let me tell you something. I shared this with you last week. I'll share it with you again. We fight in the victory, but we don't fight for the victory. The victory has already been secured. Christ has won the victory. We're fighting in the victory. We are doing a mop-up operation. But we must stand, and stand we must. There is no option. And what you see occurring on the landscape of the church today is you're seeing people fall, fall, compromise, compromise, you know, amend their doctrine to fit this latest thing, amend their doctrine to fit this other you know, new emerging different thing, and not holding fast to the Word of God. We purpose in our heart, I purpose in my heart, that I will hold fast to the Word of God. Because I realize that every Sunday when I come here and I stand in this pulpit, that this becomes holy ground. And when I stand before this pulpit, there's one person I give an account to. It is the Lord God Almighty. And on that great day, He will judge me, and He will judge me according to faithfulness. Were you faithful to the Word of God? Did everybody hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what He's going to charge me with. So sometimes people come, and they don't like what I say, and then we never see them again. I tell Ricky all the time, I had a quarter for everybody who came and left. Boy, I'd be a wealthy man by now. But I have to be faithful to the Word of God. And you, believer, you have to be faithful to the Lord God Almighty. So I shared with you last week that Satan's primary objective is to cause the believer to impugn the character of God, to impugn His Word. And I shared with you six ways that he does that. Six ways that he does that. And these are, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's worth repeating again. Six ways. Number one, Satan works hard at sowing doubt into the heart of the believer. He wants to sow doubt. He wants you to question God's Word. He wants you to say, has the Lord said? Number two, false doctrine designed to confuse the believer. Persecution. Number three, persecution. Difficulties. Temptation. Oh, all those hard times. I'm thinking of two beautiful families that are normally with us that are not here that are going through severe trial and testing. We pray for them all the time. Nancy and Isabella and now the Corbins. 
who are going through severe trials, severe testings at this moment, at this time. You know, real blessing, a side note, I spoke to Mike Corbin the other day, and he shared with me, aside from the things that are occurring with Heather, but he shared with me some other things, and I said to him, brother, you are really being tried and tested, you know, and it was such a blessing to my soul. You know what he said to me? He goes, Mark, I'm a Christian. And he said, and God is with me, and I feel his presence, and I am not going, woe is me, why is this happening? But I'm standing in the Lord. I said, God bless you, brother, stand in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The fourth element is he tries to get believers to disobey, to disobey God's word. Because in disobedience, there is no blessing. Number five, he get, tries to get us to heed lofty speculation. Oh boy, you know, all this deep philosophical talk. And number, four, and number six that I said was hurtful words from Christians. Misinterpreted words, hurtful words from Christians. All of these things he'll pull out of his quiver and, and shoot another arrow at a believer with some of these things and with much more. But today we're going to look at, today specifically in Ephesians 6.14, we're going to dress for battle. I've entitled this message, Dress for Battle. We're going to, we're going to get ready to go into battle and we're going, to, we're going to follow the prescript that the Apostle Paul told the church of Ephesians. And I'm telling you this, we're doing this because our enemy roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And who is he going after? The weak. That's who he's going after. If you're not in the Word of God, if you're not in prayer and communion with God, if you're not in fellowship with the church, if you're not desiring the things of God, let me share something with you. You're weak. I've never, I've said this time and time again, I've never met a person who professes to be a Christian who doesn't read the Bible, who doesn't spend time in prayer, who is dis, you know, not associated with the church, who is strong and robust in the Spirit of God. God has designed the church. God has equipped the church to be that fellowship of believers on earth to encourage, to edify, and to build up. Take a look with me with Ephesians 6.14. The Apostle Paul says, There stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the bre- uh, breastplate of righteousness. By the way, you'll notice that Paul keeps reiterating this statement of stand. Stand firm. Stand strong in the strength of the Lord. Stand firm. And here he repeats it again in verse 13. He said, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. And then verse 14, stand firm. And that really means to put a defensive line down. That you are not going to move. You see the enemy. You're facing the enemy. But you are resolute and strong. And you are not moving. That's what stand firm means. You notice he doesn't say run away from the enemy. We're not showing our back to the enemy. We need to look the enemy eyeball to eyeball. But it is not in our own strength that we stand. 
but in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of His might. And so the first instruction that he gives them there is he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, that's not language that we use today, right? The Roman soldier, if you think back to antiquity, if you think back to the first century, the Roman soldier underneath all of his armor and everything he had, he wore a loose-fitting tunic. And the tunic usually went to the knees or maybe slightly below the knees. But as he was preparing for battle, right, and that all of that battle back then was hand-to-hand, right? They weren't shooting from 100 yards away like we can do today or even further than that. It was hand-to-hand. And in hand-to-hand combat, to have loose-fitting clothes was problematic. Why? Because your opponent can grab onto those loose-fitting clothes, right? And be able to manipulate you and turn you in a way that would cause you to lose your initiative. So the Roman soldiers, what they would do is actually pull up their tunics. And they would tie it in the middle, pull it up to the waist, and then tuck it underneath a utility belt that they wore underneath their weight. That's what, that's what Paul means by girding the loins. Over the, over the centuries, girding the loins has really stood. It's become synonymous with get ready, be prepared. And this is the message that the Apostle Paul is telling the church there. Gird your loins, get ready, be prepared, get tied in and secure all the loose-fitting elements in your uniform because you're going into battle. And let me share something. I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the um, Harvest Project. The day of passive Christianity is over. It's over. We cannot be people that are identified that I go to church on Sunday. That is insufficient. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. It's one or the other. And God and Christ has commanded us, go into the world and preach the gospel to every man, woman, and child and go and make disciples of them, teaching them to obey all the things that I have taught you. That is a command. You know that is the Great Commission. That's the commission that Christ gives every single believer. So to come to church and ignore that is disobedience to God. And we will not not be disobedient. We're going to preach the gospel. How we do it, everybody does it a little bit differently. But we will articulate that message that there is salvation in none other. For there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. So we need to stand ready. And in this text, we are told to gird up our loins. And we're told to gird up our loins with truth. Now figuratively, this truth is indeed the Word of God. We need to secure, remember, 
If we're going to gird up our loins, it has to come into that belt. And that belt is truth. It is truth. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Our Lord talks about being ready, girding up our loins. Luke 12, verse 35. Be dressed in readiness, our Lord says, and keep your lamps alight. He's speaking of this regarding the second coming. That the word is ready, that the word ready is the same expression as girding your loins. So here where the Lord says, be dressed in readiness, He's using the same expression as girding up your loins. Stand ready. What is the Lord's admonition there? Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Gird up your loins. And we know from the parable of the ten virgins, right? That there were five foolish and five wise. What differentiated them? The five wise were ready. They had oils in their lamp. And when they heard the shout of the bridegroom, they were able to put the oil, light the fire, and go out and meet the bridegroom while the foolish ones were running around trying to figure out where they could buy oil. So we're to stand ready. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says this, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Notice what he's telling the church. Gird your minds. Get your minds ready for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've been hearing a lot of stuff in the last few months about, oh, our society's changing and the persecution of the church is coming and all these other different things. By the way, I submit to you the church of the, of, of the persecution of the church is here. I submit that to you. All right? So it's no longer coming. It's here. And as believers, what are we to do? We're to do exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13. Gird our minds for action. Church, if we're going to rise, we need to be prepared for war. And we need to be dressed to go into the war. We are armed not for the purpose of sitting back on the sidelines and watching. We are armed so that we can engage in the battle. That's why God arms us. That word truth there is not merely truth as as a spoken concept. But it's reality of truth. And truth is that belt. It's that belt that we bring up our loins and we tuck it in behind truth. Why? Because the truth of God is everlasting. The Word of God will not fade away. It is the one thing that we can build upon. It is the one thing that can shield us. It is the one thing that holds us together. When the world is just propelling false gospel and false narrative and all this baloney, it is only the truth of God that stays our souls. And where is that truth? That truth is contained in God's Word. It becomes the very bedrock of our preparedness. And it is the readiness for us. Knowing and understanding and apprehending in faith the truth of God's Word becomes essential for the believer. Why? So that we're no longer tossed back and forth by every wind and wave of doctrine. That we can hold steady. We can hold resolute. How do we stand firm? The first way we stand firm is in the truth of God's Word. 
without solid grounding on God's Word, we would not be able to repel the enemy. We would not be able to push back the enemy. We would not be able to defeat the enemy. It's only God's Word of truth that defeats the schemes of the enemy. Let me submit something else to you as well. Our truth is not only a concept, but our truth is contained in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus made this wonderful statement. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes unto the Father by me. Christ is indeed our truth. In days of temptation, in days of trial, in days of being tested severely and profoundly, we are able to weather, we are able to stand because our truth is indeed Jesus Christ. He's the very anchor that holds us together. He is the captain of our army. He is the one who is there on the battlefield with us. And we cling to Him and we hold to Him and we love Him and we embrace Him because He is truth. Remember when Jesus prayed for His disciples in John chapter 17? In what we call the, uh, the Lord's High Priestly Prayer. We just studied it before we started uh, toward the end of 2020. He says of His disciples and all that follow them, He says, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. The very words of Christ, the very words of Scripture are the very words of truth that anchor us in troubled times. In 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1. You want to turn there if you like. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul warns Timothy of what's going to come in the final days. And he says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And this Paul writes not of the culture. Not of the culture. He is warning Timothy, this is what you're going to see happen in the church. People are going to fall away. That's that word for apostasy, that great falling away. People are going to fall away from the truth. And they are going to pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. These deceitful spirits, these doctrines of demons, is what Paul spoke about in Ephesians 6.12 that we saw a few weeks ago. When he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Guess what they are doing? They are invading the church. Those spiritual forces are entering into the church and causing many to fall away from the faith. Many to fall away from the faith. You know why that happens? 
because there was a lot of different people that come into the church. There are those that are genuinely saved, genuinely regenerated, born again in Christ, who love the Lord, who cry to the Lord, that the Lord is their greatest joy, their greatest satisfaction, their greatest desire of their heart. But there is also false believers. And some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. They do a great cover-up. What is a wolf? A wolf is a predator. And a wolf hunts in packs. And they come in with a very specific agenda. They're going to seek to attack. They're going to seek to devour. They're going to seek to grab and lay hold of the weak. Jesus said, be on guard for them. Many of them come as teachers. Many of them come as ministers. Many of them say, I'm a prophet, I'm this, I'm that. But in actuality, they are agents. They are being manipulated and used by these dark spiritual forces. And they introduce seducing heresies. They tickle the ears of the people in the church. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Oh, I like what he said. I like this. But in actuality, what they seek to do is to tear apart, to divide the body of Christ. Jesus also talked about tares among the wheat. What's a tear? It attaches itself to the stalk. You really can't really tell if it's it's a tear or if it's part of the stalk of the wheat. The only way you tear... The only way you can tell is if it's shaken. And when it's shaken, the tares get separated. And Jesus said, hey, when He was talking about the parable of great harvest, He said, yo, what shall we do? Shall we we strip all these tares off? Jesus said, no, don't strip them. Let them grow together. And then at the end, at the harvest, we're going to shake them. And we're going to take the wheat and we're going to bundle it and put it here. But we're going to take all the tares and we're going, to, we're going to gather it up and we're going to be bundled. And those are the people that come into the church. And they attach themselves to the members of the church. And they learn all the buzzwords of the church. And they love the buzzwords and they love the culture of Christianity. And they roam about and none of us know who they are. We don't go and say, well, that person's a tear, that person's a tear, that person's a tear. We don't know. But finally a day will come of great shaking. And the tares will be identified. And it is the wheat that Christ is looking for. These tares also become prey for false doctrine and false truth. So you have the wolves in sheep's clothing. You have the tares. And Jesus described false believers too as, as goats among the sheep. Look, I'm not a farmer, man. I grew up in the concrete jungle, so I don't know my farm animals. All I know is from my, what I sang in old McDonald. But I'm going to tell you something. What's synonymous about a goat? Well, number one, they like to go off on their own, don't they? They like to eat junk. They'll eat anything you put in front of them. What was Jesus telling us about those that are goats? Well, those are the junk eaters in the church. They're the ones that are being discipled on YouTube. They're the ones that are listening to everything else that's going on out there. 
They eat this junk, they eat that junk. And Lord, they don't fly in formation. They won't, they won't gather with the church. They're like, I don't need to go to church to be able to do that. I'm solitary. I'll climb that cliff myself. And they walk among the sheep at times and times. They walk off on their own. But under great testing, under great pressure, comes a time when they are tested. And then the Lord said, I will gather the sheep on my right and I will take the goats and put them on my left. You see, everything is going to be sorted out in the end. We're all going to give an account. It is appointed to all of us to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is why you have to come and you have to take your faith with sobriety and seriousness. It's time for the church to put off all the frivolity. Get off that stinking computer. Get off the social media. Get off the TV. Get off all the other different things that are sucking you down and getting you weak lest you too become prey for the enemy. I want to share something with you. You will not stand in your own strength against these principalities and rulers and powers and forces of darkness in this world. I've said this many times. If you were to take a had a spiritual camera and I stood back here and I said, oh, I'm going to take a picture of the room right here. And you would see all the principalities and all the angels and everything else. That's what you would see. And we projected upon the screen right there. You would see the saints of God. You would see the forces of God. The angelic beings of God. And you would see the demonic forces of Satan. And if you're a child of God, they can never possess you. But if you are a child of God and you're weak, they can harass you. And guess what? If you're walking in Christ, they will harass you. But we war not for the victory, but rather we war in the victory. We have the victory. This is why it's critical that we as believers gird up our loins. We get ready for battle. The first place to get ready for battle is with truth. Your foundation must be Christ. Look what else in verse 14 that the Apostle says. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now what is the breastplate of righteousness? In the Roman armor... The breastplate was designed to cover one's vital organs. So it was these interlaced steel slats and steel that went down. Underneath was a leather component to it. So you put on the leather, then you put on the steel. The steel was interwoven with leather straps, so it was designed to give flexibility to the soldier as he's able to fight, so he's not bound. It also had a back piece to it as well that protected the soldier's back. It was designed to prevent sword slashing against the vital organs that are contained in the chest region. Which ones? Heart, lungs, bowels, 
right? All of the critical organs that we have in our body. So that engaged in, 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 in hand-to-hand combat, as they're slashing, the metal would deflect a serious blow. And let me share something with you. No Roman soldier would think of going into battle without that breastplate on. That would be ludicrous. Now why does that become significant for us? Well, it's significant because in the Old Testament and New Testament times, the heart was always associated with the will. The heart was always associated with the will, and the bowels was always associated with emotions. So it was thought that desires and everything come out of the heart, and deep emotion come out of the lower intestines. Now we use this language today, don't we? We we talk about it and we use this language today. You'll hear people say, what does your heart say? Am I the only person who never heard that? What is your heart telling you? What does your heart say, right? That's appealing to the center of emotion, to desire, to will. We'll hear people say, what does your heart tell you to do? Or when somebody's talking about you know, love, they're in a, a relationship with love, you'll hear people say, my head is telling me one thing, but my what? My heart is telling me something else. What are they saying? My reason and my ration is telling me to do something, but my desire, my will is telling me to do something else. You ever hear somebody say, I have a gut feeling about this? There it is, the bowels, emotion. I have a gut feeling. Many years ago when I was with IBM, uh, they gave us per, uh, personality profile tests. Some of you may know what it is. I took a Myers-Briggs exam, and it was about 220 questions, and it kind of tells you how you think, how you approach thinking. I came out to be an INFP, which means introvert. It doesn't mean personality. It means it in, I, my thought process is introverted, which means... I think before I speak, right? But the rest of me is, the N is for intuitive. I rely on an intuitive sense. And the F and the P means it's feeling and perceptive. In other words, I've got to be able to wrap, wrap my hands around it before I take an action. Only 2% of the U.S. population are INFPs. So I'm a freak. But to make matters even better, my daughter took it in college and my daughter turned out to be an INFP. See, Barbara, she's just like her old man. Kuka, we're weird. That's, that's what it is. So the breastplate was designed to protect us. Now, as we think about this within the context of these spiritual forces, when we think about this, about the attack of the enemy, if we do not have a breastplate of righteousness, then the enemy is going to attack what? The heart, the will, and the emotions. As a matter of fact, he scores a lot of victories by attacking the heart, attacking one's will, and attacking one's emotions. And just like a soldier at that time would not think about going into battle without a breastplate of righteousness, 
So we too as Christians need to understand when we go into the battle, we need also a breastplate of righteousness as well. The the key thing here is to understand whose righteousness. This is the key. So whose righteousness should we be covered in? And what needs to be covered in the event of an attack from the enemy? Now Paul here is using Old Testament Testament imagery. In Isaiah 59, 17, speaking of Messiah, the prophet says this, And he put on righteousness like a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself with the zeal as a mantle. See, when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, it is Christ's righteousness that we must put ourselves on. Paul is not advocating for anyone to be wrapped in their own righteousness. Self-righteousness is probably the worst thing you can do. And unfortunately, it's what so many believers do do. They take their self-righteousness and they put their self-righteousness on. But here he's talking about being wrapped in the righteousness of Christ because it's only in the righteousness of Christ that we could ward off those blows to the will, to the emotions, to the mind, and to all these other different things. It is the righteousness of Christ that saves us. It is the righteousness of Christ, listen to me good with this, that does, that rebukes the enemy when he makes an accusation against God's children. In the book of Revelations, we see Satan right as he's being cast into the lake of fire. And there's a great shout that goes up. And the shout is from the saints who are there. And you know what the saints say? The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. He stands there and he accuses you. He accuses me. Oh, you're going to put your faith and trust in that person? Let me tell you a few things about that person that no one else knows. Or he'll say to you, you call yourself a Christian. Just the other day you lost your cool. Just the other day you did this. And the constant bombardment and harassment that comes from the enemy as he seeks to accuse, as he seeks to weaken you. And what is he trying to do? Not only to try and get you to that place where you impugn the name of God, the character of God, and the Word of God. But what he's actually trying to do is to weaken you in your foundation of your faith. The weaker you become, the more apt you become for prey. We need to be wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the way we do it is to put on that breastplate of righteousness. That is the key component that forms this armor. And I got good news for you. If you are in Christ, you already have it. It's there. Appropriated. If you're not in Christ, you're marked already for praying. Paul tells the church of Philippians, of Philippians 3, 9. I love these words. Listen to what Paul says. And may be found in Him, meaning Christ, 
not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may be found in Christ's righteousness. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. That we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This righteousness generates a practical righteousness that comes through obedience to God and His Word. And we, are, we put on the righteousness, this new behavior that comes from obedience to God's Word. Listen to what Paul says just over in Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the, in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. In Colossians 3.12 he says, As so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we come to Christ in faith, we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. But if we reject Christ, if we say, nah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. It works for me. I'll do that when I get a little bit older. Or I'll do this later. I, I just don't buy it. Then you stand in a righteousness derived of your and I will share with you with absolute 100% certainty in that righteousness, you will never see God. In that righteousness on that great day, you will stand before Him insufficient, cast out into other darkness, assigned the place with the wicked, where there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth, as Jesus said. And you would have neglected the only substitute, the only vile atonement, the only thing that is essential for new life. You would have rejected Christ. And now comes time when you would have to pay for your sin. But you can never pay it all. And it's terrifying. That's why we plead with all people everywhere. Now when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Turn your heart to Christ. Repent and turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Don't put your faith and trust on something you did 20 years ago or something you did 30 years ago or something you did when you were 6 years old if it has not produced godly righteousness in your life. Don't put your faith in your tradition. Don't put your faith in the fact that I was baptized when I was this age or that age. If godly righteousness is not exuding from your life, then turn to Christ and repent and cry out to God for mercy. The Lord says, he who, uh, he who calls to me, I will in no wise cast out. This is serious stuff. 
everything we preach always has to lead back to the cross. We're not here so that you get some good theological education, if you get that. We're not here so that, you you know, anything else. We're here so that you walk with Christ, that you find yourself in Christ, that on that great day you hear the blessed words, enter in thy faithful servant. But if you've never, if Christ isn't your greatest affection, if you're not preoccupied with Christ, if you don't seek to do His will, if the only time He comes into your mind is on Sunday, then I cry to you, I beg you, I implore you, repent, 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 and be saved. The evidence of that repentance is obedience. And obedience, it's through obedience that we are enabled to put on that breastplate of righteousness. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Hey, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, don't you love the fact? Don't you love the fact that when God looks at you, He doesn't look back and go, oh, there goes uh, Jim over there who used to be a drunkard and he used to be a womanizer and he used to be this and he was in and out of prison. God doesn't keep a rap sheet of His saints. We're not going to stand there and go, okay, let's, let's look over your rap sheet, but know what He sees indeed is the righteousness of Christ. That my God has taken my sin and He's cast them in the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed my transgression. That if any man, if any woman is in Christ, He's a new creation. All of the old things have passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. What vital pieces of our spiritual selves need to be covered by the uh, breastplate? We discussed how it was believed that the heart controlled willed and desires. The bowels were responsible for emotions. That is the primary place that the enemy seeks to attack. The enemy's not going to engage in your mind first and try to persuade you with lofty logic. He is going to appeal to your heart, your will, and to your desires. How is Eve tempted? He was tempted when he said, God knows that in that day you'll become like him. And the lust and the pride and the desire to be like God caused the fall of the human race. Satan would love nothing more than to seek a blow to your will, to turn you from Christ, to turn you from his church, to turn you away from the word of God. And if he could land the blow, because you don't have that breastplate of righteousness on, and He can land the blow to your heart, you could be in for a rough time. I shared this with you. I just said it previously, and I want to reiterate it. Remember, He is trying to get you to impugn the character of God, to, to take the faith and, and, and get you not to believe the Word of God. We looked at the six ways he's able to do that. He will use all of those arrows that are in his quiver, but let me share something else. He'll use some of these arrows as well. He loves lust. He loves greed. He loves pride, covenous, evil desires, which all come out of where? Come out of the heart. Remember Jesus' word, there's nothing on the exterior that defileth a man, but that which comes out of the heart. 
Listen to this admonition Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many a pain. Now here he's speaking about those that are coveted for money. Those that are just want to get rich. It's all about the money. It's all about the things. It's all about the possession. Notice the words that he says. He says, those, first of all, they fall into a temptation. They also fall into a snare. What's a snare? It's a trap for small animals. Right? It's trapping a small animal. So the animal walks through the woods, boom, they land on a snare. He calls these many foolish and harmful desires. Where do they emanate? They emanate out of the heart. It says those desires will plunge men into destruction and ruin. He goes on to say, for it is the love of money. It's not money. It's the love of money. That is the root of all sorts of evil. And we see this in our society today. How they kill for money. How they rob for money. How they do all sorts of other different things. And by longing for it, by that constant perpetual desire, I want money, I want things, I want this. He says many have wandered away from the faith. He's writing this to the church. They've wandered away from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many a pang or many a pain. Titus 3.1 says this, For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful hating one another. That's our former life if we are in Christ. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And our Lord Jesus Christ when asked what was the greatest commandment, said this. When Jesus was asked in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he stated, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Remember, Satan's attacks will come for you, for your heart, your thoughts your emotion, your vital spiritual organs. The admonition that I have for the church and for every believer who hears this is to take this seriously. You want to know how to do battle? The Word of God is telling you how to do battle. But put on that breastplate of righteousness. Gird your loins and tuck it into the belt of truth. The genuine obedience and holiness that God provides for us will stand against the attack. Charles Spurgeon says this, Neither may we hope to gain by being neutral or granting an occasional truce. We are not to cease from conflict and try to be as agreeable as we can with our Lord's foes. Frequenting their assemblies and tasting their dainties. No such orders written here. You are to grasp your weapon and go forth and fight. 
Are you overwhelmed by the enemy? Are you overwhelmed by trial? Don't turn your back. Stand firm. Gird your loins. Tuck it into the belt of truth. Stand in the righteousness of Christ, not of your own. And you will indeed overcome the enemy. Listen to the words of of the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther himself. Notice what he says. This is the second stanza. He says, Although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Instead of being written in 1530, you would think that that was written today. Although this world with devils filled with, should threaten to undo us. But Christian, we will not fear. For God has willed His truth to triumph through us love how he says, the prince of darkness grib, we tremble not for him. We don't, we don't fear him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I'm going to close with this. I believe it was last Friday. In the early morning, I had woken to a dream. And in that dream were just imageries of different sins I had done as a younger man. And I got up indignant. Kind of rattled me. It woke me up out of a deep sleep. And I said, Satan, you threatened me with my past. Christ has already paid that for me. That penalty was paid upon the cross. You can make no accusation against me at all. But I got something for you, devil. I threaten you with your future. And in my prayer, in the silence of my room, I said, Satan, let me tell you what your future is going to be. You're going to be cast into the bottomless pit. You're going to be cast into the lake of fire where there will be no relief. You're going to seek relief. You're going to find none, Satan. You and those devils who swore allegiance to you will now be mocking you and cursing you and despising you within the pit of which you assigned them. And for eternity upon eternity upon eternity, you will stand under the judgment of God and you will seek relief and there will be none given to you. You threaten me with my past. I threaten you with your future. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo is doom ensure. One little word shall fell him. Let me tell you something, church. It's time for the church to arise. When Britain was being bombed during the Blitz, Winston Churchill went forward and said, this will be history, will record, this will be our finest hour. Church, this will be the finest hour. For those of us in this country to stand and arise and declare the blessings 
of our great God and King, Jesus Christ. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we bless you, and we praise you for your goodness and mercy toward us. And Father, Lord God, may you pierce our hearts that there would be a sobriety that comes with these words, Father, that we would stand, that we would not tremble at the prince of darkness, but that Christ would be exalted and lifted up in praise. And Father, now as we transition, as we come before your Lord's table, Lord, as we come now, Lord God, that we would consider our own hearts, that if there be any unconfessed sin in our life, that, Lord, we would confess it quietly to you now at this time, that we would declare the Lord's death and resurrection until that blessed day that we hear that trumpet blast and we hear that shout of that archangel and know that dead in Christ shall rise first and we which shall remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.